Hello, I'm Richard Hurley, the BMJ's Features and Debates Editor. E-cigarettes are everywhere, and so are health recommendations about vaping. This year, Public Health England published a report suggesting that vaping could help in smoking cessation. But another report from the United States Academy of Medicine was much less sure that the evidence is there. Our latest head-to-head considers whether we should recommend e-cigarettes as aids for smoking cessation, and I'm joined by two of the authors. Paul Aviard is Professor of Behavioural Medicine at the University of Oxford, and Kenneth C. Johnson is Adjunct Professor of the Department of Medicine, University of Ottawa. Thank you for joining me. First of all, can vaping actually help smokers to quit? Paul, is there evidence that it works? Yeah, there is. Um, so we there are a couple of trials that have made it into the Cochrane review of this, which is um, you know normally regarded as a gold standard evidence that um, a treatment can help people quit. And although they're not very large and the evidence is imprecise, they do suggest that e-cigarettes are fairly similar to nicotine replacement in the ability to help people quit smoking in a quit attempt. And more than that, um, our medicines regulator, the MHRA, suggests that for a device that delivers nicotine in the way that nicotine replacement does, then actually they don't need any clinical trials to, to judge that it's an effective cessation aid. They can just say, yep, that's an effective cessation aid. Of course, there are other tests that, that potentially licensing, for example, in this case, e-cigarettes would have to pass. But in terms of sort of learning from what we know about all those years of evidence on on nicotine replacement, I think we can be pretty confident that e-cigarettes should function as an aid to cessation in that way. And I I don't think there's too much doubt about that particular aspect and where the the worry comes is from the sort of population impact that, that they might have. Thank you, Paul. How good is NRT? Um, NRT increases the quit rate by about 50 to 60 percent relative to not using it. Um, e-cigarettes, well, the best estimate of, of the, you know, the point estimate is a sort of roughly a doubling, but with wide imprecision. So it could easily be that e-cigarettes are about the same efficacy as um, nicotine replacement. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't know precisely how much they increase the quit rate by, but they look somewhat similar to NRT and everything that we can, we can see in the evidence. Ken, what do you make of uh, Paul's assessment of the evidence there? Well, that's not my reading of the evidence, unfortunately. Um, it is certainly true that for daily users of the tank system, uh, there is a reported reduction in risk, and the Cochrane assessment does suggest an decreased risk. But that assessment is based on two small, as he's pointed out, two small studies. Um, furthermore, it appears that it is the reduction in risk is restricted to the 10 to 20 percent, as I said, that of users that use e-cigarettes daily. And unfortunately, for the ones who use them less less than daily, you actually have a reduced risk of actually quitting compared to not using them at all. And that's the big concern. And there's like 25 studies that suggest that is the case. Paul, do you recognize this this evidence? Yeah, so uh, let's talk about it in a little more detail. Um, The one of the things that um, the talking about it we have to disentangle is the person that who's using the e-cigarette and what they're using it for versus 
um, uh, you know, the effect of the, the device itself. And the problem with all that type of observational analysis is it could be, for example, that what people are using e-cigarettes for is to get around uh, smoke-free legislation, and maybe that's that's harming their quit attempt. Uh, their, their, you know, the, the, maybe that's rather than harming their quit attempt, maybe that's just what they're doing with it. And understandably, those people are not necessarily likely to quit when you follow them up because that's not what they had in mind. There are clearly people who use these. Um, devices as um, like they would use NRT, in other words, to support a quit attempt. But actually in the UK, for example, lots of people are using NRT while they're continuing smoking. And if you look at NRT users anyway, uh, what we see with them is that people who use NRT and cut down with them are more likely to go on and quit. So it's hard to understand these observational studies because you've got essentially different folks using them for different reasons and different motivations. And it's quite hard to say, well, that's e-cigarettes, the device that's causing that, rather than it's that person and what they're aiming to achieve that's causing that effect that Ken is talking about. So you don't worry that e-cigarettes could make uh, could make it harder for, for people to, to stop smoking? Well, of course, we worry about it. But if you look at the data that we have coming out of the UK, for example, in the period when e-cigarettes have become more common, the cessation rate, success rate has increased. So um, it's plausible that e-cigarettes are are harming that. um, But it's quite hard to see why exactly things have dramatically changed to increase the cessation rate amongst people who smoke. It could be other tobacco control measures. Of course it could. But it it could also equally be e-cigarettes. And if e-cigarettes are harming it, well, they're doing so to a small extent. And if we look at more direct evidence, such as that from trials or such as that from um, uh, sort of properly constituted cohort studies, then I think the evidence is rather more reassuring than Ken's painting the picture for. Ken, are you persuaded at all there? Uh, I'm not totally persuaded by those arguments because a lot of it, we may not, they may, observational studies is what's going on in the real world as opposed to a randomized trial, which may uh, suggest what's possible, but the real world is what we're concerned about. And it's very disconcerting that the very widespread use of um, e-cigarettes, particularly in Britain, actually, as he's, uh, Paul pointed out, is get, helping smokers get around smoking regulations. Well, the reason we put smoking regulations in is, first of all, to protect all the non-smokers, but it also helps smokers quit if they can't go and smoke in, in public places. Of the people who use e-cigarettes, about 60% of them in Britain continue to smoke. And in the U.S., it's more like 90%. And France, I think it's something like 83%. I think that was data from around 2014. If you continue to smoke and use e-cigarettes, you may actually even, it's even possible, speculated that you may have higher risk. Of course, the reason for using e-cig, one of the main reasons is for harm reduction, and you don't get much of the harm reduction if you don't reduce your smoking very much. And so you may be, a lot of smokers may be deluding themselves that they're actually reducing risk. Paul, Ken's mentioned some of the potential harms there. Yeah. I mean, these devices have been around for a very, sh- very short time, less than a decade. 
How can we be sure there aren't unintended consequences? How can we be how can we be so confident to recommend their use? Well, uh, because we also we know what comes out of them, and um, I mean, uh, what comes out of them primarily is the kind of uh, vapor that we we see in, used in theaters to create the sort of uh, dry ice we usually call it in a theater, the smoky effect. Um, so we. And of course, there are other chemicals in there, and some of which cause some concern. But it is plausible, uh, and indeed the American report that you referred to, uh, to, to make estimates is perhaps slightly overstating it, but certainly educated guesses about the likely uh, harms of this vapor, which are well below that from smoking. And I don't think there's we may disagree about how much it's below smoking, but we know that it is. And although there are some studies that suggest some risks, most of those are slightly um, unusual studies in that they're sort of uh, laying on e-cigarette liquid onto cells and that sort of thing. I think where we, we what we need to see is that there are is a lot less exposure to toxins that people who consume dual forms of nicotine, say cigarettes and NRT, which has been studied a lot more than e-cigarettes, the nicotine concentration in their blood does not seem to increase on average. It stays much the same. And so what's being depressed effectively is their smoke intake by dual use of nicotine and smoking. Uh, and so there is reason to believe that when people are dual users of e-cigarettes, that they will also be reducing their exposure to toxins. The extent to which that improves health is somewhat uncertain, but there's no reason to imagine it can increase the risk to health. Uh, and while Ken can express concerns about reductions in population quit rates, data from the US and the UK suggests that population quit rates are, if anything, increasing in the era of e-cigarettes. So, it looks like things are going the right way. There are reasons to be concerned, but they don't seem to be playing out in our populations as we observe them. As an epidemiologist, I always have a great preference for, uh, educa uh, for data and evidence over educated guests and somewhat, um, somewhat surety about estimates. Um, I like, also like direct evidence of what's happening in the human population as opposed to experiments in the lab because we often find they don't line up so well. Um, I think what's unfortunately happened with e-cigarettes is early on there was an expert committee that suggested the risk was very low and then that has been pushed into the population repeatedly but that initial assessment as they pointed out was based on essentially no data whatsoever and that is that the PHE estimate of ninety-five percent safer? Yeah. Is that what you? The nut group that put that together, an uh, expert committee with no apparent um, criteria for who got in or why, and concerns both in the BMJ and the Lancet expressed about the actual whether there were people involved from the uh, with connections to the tobacco industry on that group, and they stated right in their own report that it was essentially based on almost no evidence. But then people drop that last piece about there being no evidence when they requote that endlessly. Um, Do you accept that e-cigarettes must be safer than combustible tobacco? Well, I think there's no doubt that if you if you are only using e-cigarettes because the 70 known carcinogens 
that cause a multitude of cancers we, that we've established, uh, definitely the t cancer risk is reduced. However, as I pointed out, the cancer risk is only one third of the risk associated with smoking. I'd like to also um, turn our attention to a recent uh, meta-analysis in the BMJ, uh, but done by Alan Hackshaw and his colleagues. It was published in January. Um, that was a meta-analysis of cigarette smoking, looking at the question of how much risk was there for one cigarette per day compared to 20 cigarette today, cigarettes per day. And idle speculation, of course, would suggest, well, it must be about 5% of the one cigarette would have 5% of the risk of 20 cigarettes. What they found, replacing the speculation with evidence, was that that first one, just one cigarette a day accounted for more than half of the heart disease risk and more than and about 30% of the stroke risk that 20 that a whole pack a day would and so we find often that the when you actually have evidence you find a very different picture Paul do you have any more comments on on those issues um, what's the alternative you see I mean it, it, if the counterfactual here was a person who smoked would suddenly stop and um, low that that would happen great there's no place for e-cigarettes. But that's not the alternative that the, or the way that people have seen this. I mean, e-cigarettes have emerged from essentially a one-man band developing them and have swept the world and created this sort of surge of popularity amongst people who smoke in a way that we can only look on with, with you know, we have spent years and years in the public health community trying to promote smoking cessation and when people quit to use AIDS to cessation to improve their success rates. And we have had modest success with that strategy. But along come e-cigarettes and uh, from the population data we have in the UK appear to be increasing the proportion of people who make quit attempts. They are by far the most popular aid to cessation when people do make a quit attempt by far and um, they so the, there's something that resonates with people who smoke here that attracts them to the e-cigarette and as a consequence those people appear to be giving up their cigarettes albeit lots of people do it in phases so there are a lot of dual users but that does not mean that population quit rates are going down the evidence from the US is that they're going up in the era of e-cigarettes and have increased and that e-cigarette use was associated with an increased likelihood of cessation in a big population survey published in the BMJ. And the same in the UK, our uh, attempts to quit rate is definitely going up. So there's a lot of evidence that people are voting with their feet, I want to say, but with their hands and mouths in the case of e-cigarettes and actually switching over. And so if there was an alternative that was as popular, we wouldn't be recommending e-cigarettes. But the truth is that there isn't. And that's why it's because we're responding to people that we should be encouraging of this switch. Because if more people switch, there will be less deaths from smoking. Thanks, Paul. And this attractiveness of e-cigarettes, does it extend also to never smokers? Um, what about children? Yeah, so um, children's use of, um, or young people, I suppose we should call them teenagers, use of um, various substances, 
you probably remember your own teenage years yourself and that's sort of what you did uh, and um, uh, so yes lots of young people have tried or I say lots a minority uh, have tried um, hardly any never smokers are regular users by regular we mean at least once a week so somewhere between one in 200 and one in 500 young people who never smoked are using these once a week at most uh, I mean, uh, at most it's one in 200 to one in 500. So um, it's it's an uncommon thing to do without uh, without having smoked. When you look at young people who smoke, then dual use is more, more common than that. So use of e-cigarettes is more common in people who smoke, but it's rare to find a never smoking uh, regular user of an e-cigarette. Ken, what do you what do you think about the evidence around? I read the evidence very differently, and it's I find it uh, of, of serious concern. I think it's part of the reason places like Australia have simply not allowed e-cigarettes. In Canada, here we um, are have been very cautious about their introduction, and uh, in the U.S., there's ongoing uh, arguments about whether they should be introduced. Of course, once you let them out in the population and you let the tobacco companies market them, uh, it's out of our control. And we have a hundred year legacy of advertising cigarettes and the incredible painful toll of both death and death and disability. And with the tobacco companies, of course, they're trying to find new users. So I'm far less optimistic and I also feel that in, it would, it's got to be much more prudent to be much more careful about introducing something that may get away from us. I've got three stats that I would like to uh, counter what Paul said in terms of the youth. First of all, um, it, there is a good chance that e-cigarettes will addict new generations of young smokers through the gateway effect. The US, the recent U.S. National Academy of Science and Engineering Medicine report concluded there is substantial evidence that e-cigarette use increases risk of ever using combustible tobacco cigarettes among youth and young adults. Secondly, the 10 published studies, longitudinal studies of youth have shown a gateway effect e-cigarette users being about four times as likely as non-e-cigarette users to become smokers. And finally, in a well-designed 2016 study right in England of youth there, 12 to 18, and these studies look at, they'll they'll ask the youth questions and it's prospective, they'll ask them questions and then uh, at one point in time and then six months later or a year later or something, they'll ask them similar questions to see what's happened to the different cohorts. In that study, e-cigarette users were 12 times as likely to initiate smoking, a disturbing 52% of them, as never e-cigarette users. And of course, you've got the risk-taking youth, as Paul has pointed out, but what they're finding, the evidence suggests that about a third of the young people that are attracted to e-cigarettes are ones who would not have been attracted to cigarettes. So we have the ones attracted to cigarettes, the risk takers are going to be trying them anyways. But then we have another group that's being brought into the fold. And that is uh, obviously is a huge concern. It's a concern of the National Academy of Science and Engineering and Medicine in the US. Um, so I, Paul, my, I'm still very, many people are very concerned about that population, particularly when the tobacco companies get into, uh, have the opportunity to advertise them as a lifestyle factor. It also looks like we've had 
in terms of success, all of the tobacco control measures have had actually quite a bit of success if you look at the longer picture. We, the smoking rates have declined quite significantly. The youth smoking has declined quite significantly. And we still have huge problems like allowing smoking in the movies, in you know movies that kids can see. And if we got a few more of those measures, the, the, there's strong speculation that the risks of youth initiating smoking will go even more, down even more as they have continued to drop over the last 40 years. But this e-cigarette thing could just undermine that. So, Paul, yeah, yeah. Um, let me just come back on a few points. First of all, Ken's absolutely right. The last thing we want to see is unfettered uh, advertising of e-cigarettes, particularly anything that might appeal to young people. Uh, and um, we don't really want the tobacco industry involved with the e-cigarette industry, but of course we have to accept that they are. They've bought into it later in the day. Now, what has happened in England, and I hope will happen around the world, is that there is strict regulations on advertising. You can't uh, make them look like they appeal to young people, You only as an aid to cessation. Um, and um, essentially there is almost no advertising of e-cigarettes now uh, allowed in the UK. So there's a closely regulated environment and I think that's vital to improving the likelihood that uh, e-cigarettes continue to act as a, a good in society rather than a bad. Um, if we look at young people in general, one of the most reassuring facts is that um, the prevalence of smoking among young people has never been as low as it is today in both the UK and the US. Uh, I hope that's true in Canada too, but I don't know the statistics off the top of my head. But two countries where e-cigarette use is relatively frequent, the prevalence is really low and uh, that's extremely welcome. So if there are people using the Gates, as I said, it's extremely rare. Regular uses is, is one in several hundred young people appear to be using a gate, if that could be said to be a gateway. And of course, the alternative explanation for these, these two things, and I know Ken's put some evidence against this, is that it's kind of kids who experiment with things will go on to also use uh, cigarettes. And you, until we develop more sophisticated approaches, um, you know, more causal inference methods uh, like instrumental variable approaches. I don't think we're going to get past this, is it a gateway or isn't it a gateway question. The gateway, the people who, who say it's a gateway will continue to argue that, look, X follows Y, therefore X caused Y. And the people like myself who say, well, that may not be so, maybe it's just different type of kids doing different types of things will continue to argue that and we won't get any further forward. But in the meanwhile, we can all be somewhat reassured that uh, the gateway effect must be small if the prevalence has fallen during the time that e-cigarette use has become common amongst young people. I, I think Paul underestimates the potential impact of, the, of big tobacco on this whole issue. Um, it's chilling to look at the the what British American Tobacco has suggested is their game plan for the um, expanding the market for e-cigarettes and maintaining the market for cigarettes. Um, in the piece that I've written, the last reference takes you to an article by Physicians for Smoke Free Canada where they discuss titled "Oh My God, B A 
ITT's plan for next generation products, which is what they call them. And in that, their strategy is basically acquisition, conversion, and loyalty. So how do we get people onto e-cigarettes? Once we get them there, how do we get their confidence? And how do we get them to continue using e-cigarettes forever, i.e. stay addicted to nicotine so we can sell them forever? This is not what um, Paul and the um, tobacco um, reduction community are looking for. We're looking for people to stop using nicotine altogether so that there's not the chance of relapse back to cigarettes. And if you look at these in, these presentations just from uh, the end of last year, early this year, that are on the web uh, that are, you can link to through to, you'll find that they have a very big plan to make billions of dollars by having a huge cohort of people addicted continue their nicotine addiction and look at it as a lifestyle factor as a po as, a, as a lifestyle choice. And see, this is where we get into the problem is the, the advertising around tobacco. They're very sophisticated and they know how to um, twist people's perceptions in ways that aren't helpful for getting off tobacco. Then there, of course, there's a the concern that people who do stay addicted to nicotine at some point will decide they want to go back on cigarettes for whatever reason and relapse back to smoking. So there's just all kinds of concerns that... Um, of course, we don't want the tobacco industry involved, but I also have an article from the British Medical Journal from 2014 called Promotion of Electronic Cigarettes, Tobacco Marketing Reinvented, where they go through in detail um, the authors Andrade, Hastings, and Angus go through all the lifestyle advertising that the tobacco companies have reintroduced with e-cigarettes wherever they are able to advertise them. And uh, we've got the glamorous celebrity endorsement. The tobacco companies always maintain they are not advertising to youth, but if you look at the, you'd only have to look at the visuals to know that's simply not the case. Um, so this remains a huge concern. All those kind of adverts are banned in the UK, just to be clear, and I think they should be. Um, so I think that's, that's good. I think there's just one other point I'd like to make, which is, What's the alternative here? We could we could try to dissuade people from using them. I don't think Ken is calling for a ban on e-cigarettes. Maybe maybe that, that is what he would like to happen. But assuming you uh, don't want to ban them, then you either just either leave it alone, say nothing, dissuade people, or you promote them. And there's a sort of cautionary tale that I think we ought to remember which is the tale of snus in sweden which is this funny little tea bag type thing that's full of tobacco that you put in your mouth and of course the, these same sorts of arguments were made uh, when sweden joined the eu uh, and you know we shouldn't allow snus to uh, become popular it's another form of tobacco keep people addicted and so on and so on and uh, in, indeed in the rest of the eu snus has been banned uh, it's illegal to you to, to well, I suppose, to sell it. But in Sweden, it's very common. And what happened in Sweden is long before any other European country, the smoking prevalence in men, who were the main users of snus, um, dropped dramatically, as did smoking-related mortality and morbidity. And 
um, it's a good example of a product that isn't harmless, but isn't uh, anywhere near as harmful as cigarettes, but is an effective competitor with cigarettes, being allowed in a population and then seeing dramatic falls in morbidity and mortality as a result of it. So when we think about being cautious with regard to e-cigarettes, we need to remember that the sort of the other side of the argument that being cautious could sometimes be to allow effective promotion of something that's genuinely popular, genuinely appeals to people who smoke, and many of them seem to be wanting to switch from one to the other. And promoting that switch seems to me to be at least plausibly and I think strongly uh, responsible action for us in the society to make. Ken, smokers want these products, um, it seems, and, and they say they help. What do you say to them? Well, I think if that is the case, um, I, well, I guess there is evidence of that, then because of the concerns about a whole new generation of addiction to nicotine, these products should be available only through physicians' prescription. If they're so appealing to um, smokers, then that would not be a problem. For some reason the Public Health England people and associated people don't seem to push that. They seem to think having a just a Wild West market where anyone can buy them at every corner store right from right beside the cigarettes um, is okay. Thanks, Ken. Why is, why is the US so markedly different in its interpretation of the same evidence to the UK? I'm baffled because I think the interpretation of the evidence is different in almost everywhere. My, my best understanding and reading of it is that the, the approach is different in everywhere ex, uh, except the UK. Much more caution, much more cautionary uh, approach. Paul, why why has the UK reached a consensus so out of step with all other countries? Perhaps um, I, I'd have to know more about other countries to be able to answer that. Except to say that we we know uh, that other countries are changing their stance towards e-cigarettes and. Uh, so for example, there's moves in New Zealand to liberalise, even uh, in Canada. So whereas some countries have started with a very prohibitive stance, they are moving in the direction of a more liberal stance. There are not many countries that are moving in the opposite direction. So maybe they've looked at the UK and seen the way that these trends are moving, which is adult smoking prevalence continuing to fall, quit rates increasing and uh, young people rarely becoming regular users of, of e-cigarettes if they don't smoke as good evidence that population level effects are, are going the right way. My um, view would be that the other countries are much more using the precautionary principle and are, understand the, the horrible legacy of, of tobacco, of to cigarettes, don't want a repeat of that. Like the precautionary principle can easily be interpreted uh, at a different way, which is building on what we observed in Sweden, the precautionary principle would be to allow harm reduction as an approach in a population, as a population health strategy. It seemed to work out with snus. It appears to be working out with e-cigarettes. Uh, and um, we need to continue to observe that population benefit. But I think that's what we're seeing thus far. We've had a, a cruel legacy of a century of epidemic smoking addiction and smoking-related death and disability. It should be a very cautionary tale about introducing any new product. E-cigarettes increase youth smoking initiation. 
They're only weakly effective in smoking cessation and only for the people who smoke, who use them daily, uh, high daily use, that 10 or 20 percent. And for the rest of the population, they're decreasing the ability to quit compared to people who use nothing. They should not be legalized or recommended for station, cessation as currently promoted and used, particularly because of the um, backroom political and economic influence of the tobacco companies that will only increase as the, the rules, um, as they become more readily available and uh, approved in different places. Ken Johnson and Paul Aviard, thank you so much. Um, what a fascinating debate. You can read the debate online on bmj.com. And as always, we'd be delighted to know what you think. So please send us a rapid response. We republish the best as formal letters to the editor. I'll be back with more debates in the future. So make sure you subscribe to us so you don't miss out. We're on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. <laughs>